lecture twelve part one of the endowments of man by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture twelve the restoration of man part one behold i make all things new apocalypse chapter twenty one verse five to cultivate the body at the cost of the soul is to subvert the order of life and by a parity of truth to cultivate earthly science at the cost of spiritual wisdom is to subvert the order of knowledge and to sacrifice the wisdom of the mind what is science but the knowledge of things in their causes but the causes of material things are spiritual and what is wisdom but the knowledge of the highest things in their highest causes and in the ultimate ends for which they exist man is placed in this world as a middle term between earth and heaven holding by his body of the earth and by his soul of heaven he is placed between the superior good of heaven and the inferior good of this world that by the help of god and his own virtue he may ascend by degrees from earthly to divine things he is a middle good with a great capacity for divine good that by the light and grace of god he may exercise the sublime office of spiritualizing his whole nature and exalting it in mind and heart in the direction of eternal truth and good and may so use the elements of this world as to bring them into the service of his spiritual life and intelligence if he reverses this noble order of things and directs his mind and conduct to the materializing of his mind and the sensualizing of his life instead of ascending to superior good he loses even his middle good and descends in all his nature to a degraded state and position altogether unworthy of his humanity and perverts both his gifts and his nature but the wise man is he who is intelligent upon himself who understands why god has placed him in this position and who is recognized in these words of the psalm blessed is the man whose help is in thee he hath disposed ascensions in his heart in the veil of tears in the place where he is set there is a vanity of science which is not less vicious than the moral vanity of the heart a vanity wholly given to the elements of this world to the exclusion of the solid things of the soul this vanity vitiates both the man and his science sometimes even to the absurd extent of his imagining that the science of this world may stand in place both of religion and of the highest and purest virtue yet such a one sees nothing in its highest cause nor in its final end to him all is as though it were suspended on nothing and all as though it tended to nothing we may justly call this vanity as solomon discovered many ages ago in surveying the tendencies of the natural sciences 
when cultivated apart from god and vanity is vacuity like the devoting of the soul to the body it leaves the inward man vacant and his spirit void for neither the body nor the things of the body can fill the spirit or give it rest or bring the desired fruits to its toils the garment of science is not the body of science nor the body the soul nor the soul the life of science there can be no soul of science for him who is contented with the outward and material garment of visible things or with the mere body of this world and who cannot or rather will not ascend in mind from things visible to things invisible nor can he pass from the soul to the life of science who will not ascend from things created to their divine creator to their first and final cause to the divine illuminator of all and to the divine perfecter of all it is a marked weakness of such men that failing in wisdom they do not estimate things so much according to their real or relative value in the order of good or in the scale of things as by their newness their way of affecting the curiosity of the mind and their interest as matters of inquiry so that they are inclined to look upon all things as equal to the mind with the only distinction of their being novel rare or curious but with this tendency of mind with this minute philosophy the grand view of the greater things is too apt to be lost sight of and the great and universal truths which god designed for all men are too apt to recede from sight not because they are not present and visible as ever but because these minute philosophers have contracted their vision and bent it downward and they next deny what they have disenabled themselves to see but all truth belongs to god who is its first possessor and all truth exists in a preeminent way in god and the nearer we are to god the more truth we see and by having this greater truth are the more like in mind to god and be it ever remembered that truth is the oldest of all things whilst man is both new and fond of novelties changeable in himself he is fond of change but let him who seeks the divine truth remember that it comes from god and can never be devised by man for it is most ancient fixed and unchangeable and our adherence to that ancient truth makes us of a constant and unchangeable yet of an ever-growing and fruitful mind for our mind is like the fruit tree in this respect that if rooted in the truth it is fruitful but if it is constantly shifting from opinion to opinion it can bear no solid fruit all things in the creation have their lights and shadows there is nothing in this visible world from the sun in the heavens to the pebble that rolls under our feet from the man with whom we are familiar to the insect we examine with the microscope 
that has not a side that is in light and another that is in obscurity whatever we know in this world whether by perception or by the testimony of others is partly known and partly unknown yet we have sufficient knowledge to secure certainty sufficient for conviction for assent for belief and for our guidance and nothing can be more irrational nothing more unphilosophical than to argue from the obscure against the clear side of any fact or truth as if the one was the denial of the other whereas it is that which is clear that vouches for that which is obscure in one and the same subject yet this is the common method of sceptics and unbelievers but if our natural knowledge presents us with both lights and shadows with clear evidence attended by obscurities beyond the reach of our limited mind and faculties how much more must we expect this to be the case when our minds are brought into contact with the divine and supernatural truths of revelation nor must it be forgotten that in his divine economy of revelation the god of heaven contemplates a twofold purpose the one to enlighten us with divine truth and to guide us by that light on our way to heaven the other to try our faith and obedience he therefore who asks for a perfect light all around and through a mystery of faith whose seat is in god as the condition of accepting it is much more absurd than he who expects a perfect light all around and through the objects of nature whose place is in this world before he assents to their truth and existence the light given with divine revelation is so tempered that the good may use it with confidence and are never without sufficient light whilst it is in the power of the evil disposed to refuse that light for god has made his revelation the test and trial whether we will freely accept his truth by faith or not there is light enough and much more than enough for them who are humble-minded and willing to see there is obscurity enough to test their spirits who are proud-minded and unwilling to see there is light to enlighten the faithful and obscurity to humble them there is obscurity enough for the unfaithful man to blind himself with whilst there is light enough to condemn him for his willing blindness there is brightness enough in the doctrines of faith to make our belief reasonable and darkness enough to make our adhesion a meritorious obedience and an act of fidelity to divine authority at the same time in the precepts and counsels of faith there is an exquisite order beauty and light which attract the love and obedience of the heart whilst their difficulty arises in the course of their exercise making them the meritorious work of virtue the principles embodied in these remarks 
will be no unsuitable preparation for entering upon the grand theme of human restoration a theme which involves the greatest of all human interests no sooner did man dare to break the law of god than he fell on the instant from that high honour to which god had raised him so long as he walked in the path of rectitude his heart was pure and innocent and he was clothed in the white stole of justice as with a garment of grace and beauty loving god with his beautiful gift of love he was loved by god as with a father's love the unfailing light of celestial truth shone to his mind and the frank and complete integrity gave serene power to his will all his appetites obeyed his will with calmness and he beheld the sovereign dominion not only over his body but over all that in nature was inferior to him peace and joy abounded in his heart and his happiness was augmented with the certain hope of eternal life and of rising after a time to supreme beatitude with god but alas no sooner has he drunk the deadly venom of sin then all this is taken from him and he falls as a king from his throne what tongue can tell the evils that fall upon man when he falls away from god the loss of his spiritual gifts destroys his communion with heaven the horrible turpitude of guilt defiles his nature to its centre the divine love is for him changed into wrath and fills him with terror he is enchained in a hard bondage to the devil who seduced him his cupidities have arisen over his weakened powers of control and rage against him fears and troubles agitate him the dread of an eternal as well as of a natural death pursues him the loss of light and the obscuring influences of sin leave a darkness on his mind that even weakens his intelligence of the laws of nature over which he was appointed to hold dominion and clouds all his faculties and powers had he any hope of deliverance from his great and many evils his lot would be less sad and mournful but by his own conduct he has closed up every way of escape before he can be delivered from his fallen state and disgraceful servitude the divine justice must be satisfied the divine honour repaired an equitable atonement must be offered for his sins and a just price paid for his redemption but what good has he to offer to god what life can he substitute for the life in god that he has lost having lost the supernatural element of life which made him pleasing to god what grace has he left with which to make his offering acceptable to god he has nothing left him but his fallen nature separated from god weakened darkened defiled with injustice and disorder and already forfeited to death and everlasting punishment even the human race to be yet born from him 
is involved in his condemnation because god had made him the one fontal principle of all humanity there is no way left open from man to god the only possible way open is from god to man deliverance may come from heaven it cannot possibly come from the earth the fathers of the church have argued from the omnipotence of god that he might have effected the deliverance of man and his restoration to justice in some other way but that in his infinite goodness and mercy and for his own divine glory he chose the most magnificent and generous way the way most abounding in goodness and condescension the way most necessary to accomplish a most secure as well as a most plentiful and overabounding redemption and salvation to man through the incarnation of his eternal word in the first place it was the most secure because man in his weakness might fall again but by the incarnation of the son of god human nature as the fountain of redemption and salvation was made everlastingly secure by its inseparable union with the person of the son of god in the second place the incarnation of the eternal word was most singularly adapted to the weakness and to the requirements of man for man is a creature of sense as well as mind and is more inclined to things visible than to things invisible and more easily passes to things invisible through the things that are visible the whole world therefore is so made by god that through visible things we may be able to ascend more easily to the knowledge of things invisible but now since his fall man is carnal sold unto sin and it is therefore still more needful for him that truth and justice and the power of redemption and salvation should come to him from heaven in a visible and even in a human form with human affections and sympathies that he may be drawn back to god and to his salvation even by the cords of adam in the third place the magnificent scheme of the incarnation is the most glorious to god for however great and godlike it is to create good it is incomparably greater to conquer evil with good and to destroy that evil through the creation of a greater good but the incarnation of the son of god is the most magnificent of all creations most magnificent above all creations both of angels and of men most magnificent in the personal union of that creation with the eternal word through whom all things were created and most magnificent in its infinite condescension and what adds immeasurably to this magnificence god takes occasion of the great evil with which his creatures oppose him to accomplish this grandest of creations that he may overcome evil 
with the creation and endowment of superabounding good then came forth the most wonderful manifestation of the attributes of god in their most magnificent exercise to use the words of st john of damascus the mystery of the incarnation showed forth the united goodness and wisdom and justice and power of god his goodness in that he did not despise the infirmity of his own creature his justice in that when man was vanquished he caused his tyrant to be vanquished in no other way than by man nor did he rescue man himself from death by violence his wisdom in that he provided a most becoming payment of a most difficult debt and his infinite power because nothing can be greater in the exercise of power than that god should be made man returning to the divine goodness as in this glorious mystery it is the highest degree manifested we must remember that the nature of god is goodness and that it belongs to goodness to communicate good and to the supreme goodness to communicate himself to the creature in a supreme way but this he has accomplished as saint augustine observes when he united a created nature to himself and that in a way so intimate that the soul and flesh of man become one in person with the eternal word wherefore in the solemn words of the god incarnate himself god so loved the world as to give his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him may not perish but may have eternal life for god sent not his son into the world to judge the world but that the world may be saved by him he came not only to heal our misery but to promote us as became so divine a redeemer and benefactor to greater good than we had lost by our sin what faith can be so firm and assured as that which rests upon the very word of truth appearing visibly in the world speaking in our own nature to us living the truth before our eyes conversing with men face to face and soul to soul as a man speaks with his friend that man might walk with confidence in the truth says st augustine the son of god the very truth took the nature of man to found and establish the truth in us what could raise our hope so high or give so firm a trust in the goodness and mercy of god as that the son of god should partake our very nature he has become one of us to inspire us with full confidence in his loving disposition to do all things for us he who has given us himself will he not give us all things he tells us that we have only to ask and to receive what again could be more eminently calculated to bring us back to the love of god than a proof so great and striking of the love of god for us god commendeth his charity towards us 
because when as yet we were sinners according to the time christ died for us one of the greatest causes of his coming in the flesh was to show the exceeding love of god for us it might have been difficult for man to love god if he did not know that god loved him but god hath first loved us and has exhibited his love in a condescension so marvellous with sufferings so great in a work so full of love that we must indeed be hardened if we return not love for love then what a good and what a very needful good has been received by us in the example of a perfect human life which the son of god has set before us so that we have only to follow him in order to perfect our life and secure our happiness as saint augustine pithily expresses it our duty does not consist in following man whom we see but in following god whom we do not see and for this reason god was made man and presented himself to man that man might see him again in the mystery of the word made flesh we have the actual proof that man may be a partaker of the divinity which is the true beatitude of man and the final end of human life for we are taught by the very fact that god is made man that our human nature is capable of union with god but if the incarnation of the son of god is the most glorious and efficacious of all designs for the promotion of our spiritual good it is equally the most efficacious for the removal of that evil which is the great obstacle to all good why should men any longer fear the spiritual powers of evil after they are associated with god in their own nature for he has exalted that nature above all spiritual creations and filled that nature with divine power to conquer every spirit of evil so that they tremble at the very name of jesus and fly at its invocation from the mystery of the incarnation we also learn to understand the great dignity of human nature that we may neither dishonor nor defile that nature in ourselves for god has shown us how high a place our human nature holds in the creation by the very fact that he sent his son to appear to men as truly man acknowledge the dignity o christian says saint leo and as thou art made a partaker of the divine nature do not thou degenerate in thy conduct by falling back into thy former vileness then the mystery of the incarnation puts an end to the false and self-confident presumption of man for by it we learn that the grace of god whereby we are saved is given us in christ without any previous merit or deserving on our part and the pride of man which is the source of all evil and the greatest of all hindrances to his union with god is rebuked and healed through the humility of the son of god but the greatest achievement of power combined with love and mercy 
which the son of god has accomplished in his humanity is the deliverance of man from the servitude of sin satan was overcome by the justice of the man christ jesus who gave the fullest satisfaction for us no mere man could satisfy for the whole human race nor did it become god to give satisfaction for the sins committed against him it was needful therefore that christ should be both god and man this saint leo has explained in words to be ever remembered infirmity was taken up by power humility by majesty and what was mortal by eternity that as a suitable remedy for our evils one and the same mediator between god and men might die in his human nature and rise again by his divine nature for were he not true god he would not have brought us healing and were he not true man he would not have been our example saint athanasius observes that our knowledge that the world was created through the word of god prepares us worthily to understand why the world should be restored to the father through the same word of god for it can never be contradictory that the father who made the world through his word should heal the same world through the self-same word in this remark saint athanasius but follows the inspired order of teaching which sublimely opens the gospel of saint john although certain pagan philosophers obtained a glimpse of the word of god as the power through which the world was created they might have obtained what they imperfectly knew from the chosen nation saint paul assures us that by faith we know that the world was framed by the word of god that from invisible things visible things might be made as by faith we also know that the divine word is the true light which enlighteneth every man that cometh into this world end of lecture twelve part one